Welcome to the first ever live recording of the Women in Diplomacy podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Sumnicht, and I'd like to introduce Carl Johan Lind. He is representing Saab, who is partnering with us for this event today. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. Um, welcome, everyone, tonight. Um, my name is Carl Johan Lind, as uh, Kelsey pointed out. I represent Saab, and for you who don't know Saab, it's a global Swedish company in defense, security, and aeronautics. Um, we're co-hosting this tonight with the YPFP and the WISE, uh, and I absolutely don't want to waste anyone's time here uh, away from this uh, interesting discussion that we're going to have 25 minutes later. Uh, but uh, just to say a little bit, few words about why I and the company I work for feel that this issue is very important to discuss and promote. Uh, the sector I represent is very much a man-dominated world. The sector has generally been bad at, for example, promoting female enrollment, providing appealing career paths, or adequately promoting women in management positions. Only being able to speak for my own company, I can say that at least Saab has addressed the issue and proactively works to promote women leadership. Saab, for example, has a 30% women policy for management positions, that has been very successful so far. The problem, however, is not unique only for the defense sector, is that the structures of inequality start from very early on, already during school years uh, and later during university years, where industry and academia has done way too little to promote female enrollment, and particularly in engineer-heavy uh, industries like the defense industry. Um, therefore, Saab also actively engages in partnerships with high schools and universities in Sweden, but also in countries where we are present, such as Brazil, to directly promote women to take an interest in our industry. For us, it's very simple. We as a company cannot afford to look over what is more than half of the potential recruitment pool. Talent and competence is a resource that we take seriously and do everything to acquire. And the second issue um, is how we maintain competence within a company. There it is up to us as a company with our employment policy and of course with uh, some support of a very good Swedish labour market uh, uh, policies as well uh, to make it attractive for all to remain and develop within the company. That is one way we aim to promote uh, women leadership by firstly providing the necessary conditions and prospects for that to happen. Um, and I will end by saying this, um, that there is never a fair complete when it comes to promoting the type of issues we will be discussing here tonight. It's an ongoing work that will always need uh, advancing and further discussion. Thank you. A huge thanks to Saab for hosting us tonight. Uh, thank you for your support of young professionals and also for female empowerment. I, of course, am here representing Young Professionals in Foreign Policy. I'm actually Director of Membership in the San Francisco Hub. So this is really fun to get to partner with uh, the Brussels Hub here tonight. Uh, obviously, Young Professionals in Foreign Policy, our mission is to foster the next generation of foreign policy leaders through training, event, and networking. So if you are here and you're not a YPFP member, definitely check it out, ypfp.org. We'd love for you to join us. Um, my final thank you goes out to Women in International Security, which we fondly call WISE. And uh, they have partnered with us for this event, uh, especially Anna, Pauline, and Rebecca to help bring our speaker here today. But I'm so very grateful for all of these organizations coming together for a live episode of the Women in Diplomacy podcast. We're here to talk about women leaders in security. 
which is obviously a very important discussion because gender equality and women's empowerment are key to global security. More well-rounded opinions at the decision-making table and within policy debate create better policies that are more effective and efficient. But this still remains a male-dominated industry. A great example is the number of female ambassadors on the UN Security Council. It has fallen from its peak at six female ambassadors in 2014. Last year it was four female ambassadors, and this year it's just one. So what can we do to encourage female participation in the field of security? And what can we expect when diversity is implemented? We have two wonderful speakers here today to help us answer those questions. Ms. Charlotte Isaacson. She was senior gender advisor on the Swedish, with the Swedish Armed Forces. She was Allied Command Gender Advisor at the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And now she's advisor on gender at the U European External Action Service. Welcome, Charlotte. <laughs> Next, we have Dr. Corina Horst. She is president of Women in International Security and deputy director of the German Marshall Fund. Thanks for joining us. What is your favorite or personal example of the impact of women in security? Is diversity important and why? Go for it. Yeah, so uh, yes, yes. Answer to both questions uh, are yes. Uh, it's very important and my... <laughs> I have so many examples, so I couldn't really pick, but I have a military background. I was one of the first women in, in uh, a combat position in Sweden uh, many, many years ago. And, and it was very much a political decision at that time because it was based on equal opportunities and it was a political push and, and it was the right thing to do. Some people thought, but most people perhaps not. Uh, and, and, and from that, uh, when we started to focus more on uh, international security, international operations, we got the resolution of 1325 in, in 2000, which really put security within another context, which we normally didn't think about before. Uh, also making sure that we, we, when we conduct our operations and missions, actually consider the, the lives and experiences and the participation of women, as well as of men, and to take that into our normal procedures and analysis and planning, etc. Then it became something that was, of course, not necessarily only about gender balance anymore, which some people normally pushed back uh, on, um, but also it, it was something that we did within our core of what we were delivering. And that was, to us, that was really a game changer in many ways, because I think that was the first time when when many of my colleagues really uh, started to think about this from another perspective, it wasn't anymore about, you know, uh, there will be more competitors together with me when I apply for this, I don't know, managerial position or uh, a status position, but it was very much about doing the right thing in the core of what we were delivering and to do that right. And I think, to me, that is really uh, the core of, my personal experience when it comes to women and security. And, and that said, I, I would say that the resolution on women, peace and security would never have been in place if it wouldn't have been for a lot of 
women activists and peace activists and, and, and many people pushing for that. And within our security institutions, both within the Swedish Armed Forces and also the, later when I came to NATO, uh, this topic about women, peace and security or women in security or diversity and, and gender balance wouldn't have come so far if it wouldn't have been for women driving that agenda. So that's that's a fact. And I think to me, uh, the, this is important to share with you because this tells so much about both the system we are um, living in and also it tells about the potential of, of having both men and women doing things. And and I just wanted to, to before leaving the word back to you, I wanted just to say that uh, we I, to me, this is both about women, like, you know, being a woman and gender balance, but it is also about what we do and how we do it so that we we make sure that whatever we do in terms of global, national and individual security are considering uh, security for men and women and boys and girls uh, and that we can deliver equal security. and. And, and that said, it is important to also think about gender as a concept, I think, as, a, as not about being men or women, but actually being a system of beliefs where actually what is labeled masculine is assigned different and many times a higher value than what is labeled feminine. And, and, and thinking about gender or women in security, I think we cannot overlook that, uh, not so small detail actually, quite a big detail, because this sort of gendered security domain or gendered system in security is uh, influencing both us as individuals working there, but also uh, what we do and how we do it and what we can do and perhaps sometimes also what we cannot do. And, and that is also why it is important to speak about, of course, men and women, but also masculinities and, and femininities. So to, to, to finalize that, I would say that, yeah, that leads me to say that, well, yeah, diversity is really, really important. Uh, and in a world where both men and women would have equal opportunities, gender wouldn't be an issue, but that is not how it is yet. And by also denying inequalities, or by making gender invisible, the masculine hegemony prevails and, and we will continue to have a system where masculine values are privileged compared to feminine values. Uh, and that is why we always have to consider gender and, and the fact that we have men in, and women. And, and I think also when it comes to diversity, it is important to not uh, to think about diversity and allowing different perspectives to, to to have space and room so that it will not be this counting men and women or, or you know, uh, symbolic diversity, but actually uh, to think a little bit further and think about what, what does this diversity mean in terms of what we can actually achieve. And for us, it's clear that we want to achieve security and, and peace. Uh, and... Uh, Yes, and, and saying that, I, I want to end and uh, saying that uh, it is a problem when we have an underrepresentation of women in, in conflict prevention, in everything related to security, 
uh, in peace building, uh, and when we are lacking that diversity, because uh, it's not a problem for the individual and women and men only, but in the end of the day, it is a, a problem in terms of what we could actually achieve. So this is why it is from a, a pure business point of view, one could say, uh, really, really important that we get this right, because we cannot achieve security and lasting peace without women's full inclusion and participation. And that is how we will build a safer and secure world. Corinna, do you agree? I do. <laughs> um, I mean, just as sort of maybe as a preface, I absolutely believe that diversity is important and there's sort of two reasons for it. A, it's what Charlotte has said about sort of bringing new perspectives uh, to the table, but then also I think all of us in terms of being the, you know diverse group, whether it's based on gender, age, uh, regional representation or so, we help each other sort of uncover these sort of blind spots that we all have and it's sort of the diverse perspective on problems that sort of help come up with new solutions. Um, I have two examples where I thought that the impact that women had on security was sort of really, really important um, and some of you might be surprised because I'm actually sort of coming more from the international relations and the history background. And I also see why is this role in Brussels because of NATO and the EU institutions going sort of beyond the sort of traditional definition of security. Um, one example is, and many of you know it, it's um, the women that were behind the historic um, nuclear agreement with Iran that was came to a conclusion in 2015. Um, it was Wendy Sherman and Helga Schmidt sort of on the negotiating side, US and Europe. Um, it was Lady Ashton and Federica Mogherini sort of more on the political side. And lots have been written about it. Um, but what for me is really significant that, um, you know, the, A, it's the, it's the amount of women who actually sort of came in there. And it says something to, you know, about the sort of criti a, a critical mass and, you know, to be also visible. Um, but I thought it was also really interesting that they achieved something in a context where many of the interlocutors come from a very traditional conservative um, environment. And I think nobody sort of really believed that would go anywhere, but it did. Um, you know, they listened, they showed empathy, they were tough, um, they and, you know, sort of got negotiations done. So I, for me, you know, I find that very important. The other one that I wanted to use, and probably none of you think about it, sort of, you know, well, what does it have to do with security? Um, it's actually in October 2013 when a, a, a group of bipartisan women in the U.S. Congress uh, proposed a plan that um, ended the U.S. government shutdown. Um, and, you know, again, it's sort of women came to the front. They were able to come collaborate. They were able to come up with a compromise and get something done. And again, it was sort of they looked for the common ground. So for me, those are two sort of examples um, where you, you know, security in a broader sense, mm -hmm. but women had a really decisive role. May I ask, do you two have personal experiences where it has been difficult to be a woman working in security? I'm going off script a little bit here. Yes. Yes, you are, and uh, that's why I'm a little bit quiet. But uh, yes, of, I I can definitely say yes to that question, and I I would say I I don't know a single woman I ever worked with who wouldn't answer yes to that question because uh, at least coming from the military side, coming in as uh, the underrepresented uh, 
representative of the underrepresented uh, group, no matter you know if you're a woman or comes from a, another country or what it might be, you know, it it comes with a lot of visibility. You you become very over visible, and that makes also it hard to to relax really. And I can really relate to that in my my early years because my first year I would years I served in the army I was the only woman and and of course it was quite new and everyone you know looked my direction and you know wanted to check out whether she's up to the you know job or not and all those things which can uh, of course add a lot of uh, pressure but I think also it is important my personal experience is that the security jobs and organizations I have been in it, it's a very competitive uh, arena uh, and uh, and that comes with uh, some certain aspects or a certain charm uh, and and of course we know that from the military uh, we see from service uh, and we read in the media that many of our military forces uh, have uh, issues with uh, discrimination sexual harassment uh, uh, and other types of uh, problems that, uh, of course, we, we know that that exists and me personally have also been uh, experiencing that. Uh, and I think that is something that it is a very good experience to have because if you work, as I do now with these topics, you know, to, to, to improve gender balance, to, to make sure that more and more women feel that this is an attractive field to work within and to make sure that we deliver security that is equal for men and women. Uh, I think it is uh, the best experience you can have to to have been, you know, to, to felt both the upsides and the downsides of our organizational culture, so to speak. Yeah. For me, it's more in general terms that absolutely I felt it. Um, I find myself often in meetings um, where I ask questions very differently than the men do around the table. And, you know, you get some blank stares, you get some puzzlement, and, you know, usually you have to make your point in again in a different way. And then some get it and some don't. Um, but there are often cases you sit in a meeting and you say something and it's being ignored and then a few minutes later, and I think many of you can relate, a man says the same thing and then oh, all of a sudden, you know, it's a oh, good point, you know. So it's, it's those subtle um, environments and I think the key is about not being afraid to, you know, speak up and um, continue to make that point. Yeah. I came to think about another thing, which I think many of us can relate to in being here in the room, that uh, also experiencing the fact that the same behavior are met with very different expectations and, and uh, assessments from people around you. So, for example, when I came to my, my headquarters uh, in NATO uh, five years ago, uh, uh, I, I worked a lot, as we do, all of us here in the room, uh, and I'm a mother of three, and I had some colleagues who found it really, really, really hard to cope with that fact, and, and I was met with comments like, yeah, but you know, you shouldn't work so long hours, you shouldn't travel, you know, you have to think about your kids, and all of those things that my husband would never experience, or 
or the fact of being direct and clear in in uh, in a security environment or a military organization um, might be considered a male trait and and if a woman does it it might be considered slightly i don't know bossy aggressive and all those uh, labels and et etiquettes which i i think perhaps more than me in this room have experienced and of course that is incredibly annoying Obviously, we're very lucky to have these two women here with us today. So be thinking about the questions that you'd like to ask. Um, I think it first starts with identifying what the issue is. What are those barriers or the main problems of having more women participating in this field? And then discussing, you know, what we, you know, here on the panel and then everyone in the room um, can do about it. So what do you feel are the main barriers to women in this field and has much changed since you first entered into the security field? And I think I'm hoping for a little bit of hope here. Is yeah, change possible? Yeah, yeah for, for sure. I, at least if you ask me. So I'm, I'm sort of a living proof of that because when I started in not when I started in the army, but when I started to work with this topic, I normally say that I was probably the most unpopular person in the whole Swedish armed forces because this was this was a topic that was so unpopular and you became this person who spoke about all those things that no one did want to hear, you know. Um, negative things, uh, uh, unequal pay, uh, discrimination, sexual harassment, I spoke about that before, you know, coming dragging always with problems. And when you become that person, you know, you might not be promoted that fast. Uh, but, but actually, after not so many years, uh, I realized that something fundamentally changed in terms of, you know, what we are doing. And and suddenly you were asked for your competence, your expertise, your, you know, what you could actually bring to the table in terms of helping your organization to, to, to do this better, you know. Uh, in the beginning we were inviting ourselves to all those places and when you enter the room you can see in people's faces that, you know, oh no, my God, not her again. And, and actually now... Nowadays, people, later, people could be quite annoyed if you didn't show up because you were a re required competence. So I think in that, in that regard, uh, change is definitely uh, possible. And, and I usually say that if anyone would have asked me 10 years ago if we would be at this level now, I would, I would never, ever have thought that we would have come this far. Mm. So I think that is very... Positive, and I have been, in terms of my work, working with this topic on gender equality and and integrating a gender perspective into, to, to the sphere of security and military operations. Uh, I I really see that in a very short time you can achieve change, uh, and we see that almost every day. So that's very positive. But on a slightly more and. Uh, negative side perhaps. Of course, challenges and obstacles remain. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we still have a security sphere uh, where 
which is very gendered, as I said before, where the gender hierarchies are actually privileging men's experiences and, the, as I said before, the masculine values. And, and we need to make that visible and we have to speak about that. If, if we make that invisible, you know, we will have this big elephant in the room, which is affecting all of us. Uh, and this is important because because we cannot achieve a more peaceful world if those hierarchies remain in place. And even if women have been accepted into most militaries and into the core of security, uh, the really core of the security pr still primarily lies in the hands of men, while women might found the supportive uh, arena. Um, uh, and of course, then you are limited in your possibilities to influence, you know, the core of how we work with security in terms of policy and actions and priorities and, and not at least, you know, what we put our money or not. Uh, and this segregation translating both to division of labor and language used, and that is similar to most professions. Uh, where you have this highly specialized expert discourse uh, and that is also the fact within the security domain and the separate it separates the insiders from the outsiders uh, quite deliberately many times I've noticed uh, and and where for example we speak about nuclear strategy the the experts talk abstractly about collateral damage and counter value uh, priding themselves on a version of perhaps a realistic uh, perspective defined as not being tainted by emotion which is considered a feminine value again uh, and and by being that dispassionate and rational about these weapons rather than addressing messy physical and emotional effects among people uh, the masculine association with security is is just you know continuing and uh, and that uh, keeps some of the women we should need in out and I see this still as one of uh, the obstacles because then those women within this sort of you know un imbalance between masculine and feminine are still kept out from those discussions however of course we have a lot of positive signs we see female defense ministers we see more and more women entering military. I know NATO are, are annually doing this uh, survey where they go out to all the, to the nations and also to partner nations asking uh, them to report on, on, on many different things. So, you know, of course we, we see improvements, but of course it's, uh, it is slow and, and still we see that the women are primarily found within certain domains, within the security domain. And, and and there are similarities with what have been found in research on uh, among doctors uh, mm -hmm. where you can see that you know where uh, well it could be a similarity at least because what have been seen there is that where we where women go in you know then the men move to other uh, areas and and there are similarities with you know in the Nordic countries with uh, heads of schools and principals, it used to be a very um, male-dominated work and then women came in and then the men, you know, disappeared, so it became a female. So, you know, yeah, so it's a process, of course. I stop there.
<laughs> Again, I'm going to take it into a little bit more of a broader um, sort of context. For me, there's sort of two issues when it comes to sort of the lack of female advancement. Um, one, it's us women ourselves. Um, we don't dare enough. Uh, we don't speak up, and we are too perfectionist. Um, we don't really kind of go out and sort of get our hands dirty. So I think that's sort of one thing where more needs to be done, um, sort of that we individuals um, sort of work on that. Uh, the other one is definitely it's the system that has been around for many centuries, decades, um, that defines gender roles in very, very narrow ways. Um, you know, very simplistic, it's the breadwinner and the caretaker, and so it makes it incredibly difficult for both men as well as women to sort of step out and do something differently. Um, but I, I see some change, and it affects both men and women. Um, you know, I mean, a, you know, more women are out there, and they're visible, and they become role models. And I think that's sort of what we're lacking, and we need more of that so we can see how have they done it, and can we sort of emulate that. Um, it's about also numbers, um, you know, having more women in higher, higher positions. And once you reach a critical mass of like 30%, sort of that's what research shows is actually in a certain context to actually move things. And, you know, the dialogue and the sort of results sort of shift. Um, it's, it's also about sort of men wanting different roles, no longer just want to be seen as sort of the breadwinner, even having that burden, or it's just by the pure fact how we lead our lives that you actually need a dual income um, and able to support uh, the lifestyles we sort of have. And so it becomes much, much more about what kind of life do we want to lead in the future? And do men want to succumb to the sort of pressure and have burnouts when they're 40? And, so I see a bit of a shift there, and yes, you know, the, you know, the victory of, of, of Trump has sort of been a, a backlash that I think unsettled many of us. Um, I also see, well, you know, certain things have changed, and uh, more people are out there, more people are sort of discussing that. So I don't think we're going to go back to the 70s, but, you know, we'll advance, but maybe a bit slower. Mm -hmm. And at least for us in Brussels, I can say also that, you know, um, some of us are working on some very, very concrete measures. Um, there's a small group, and we're trying to get a database of female policy experts up and running so, you know, people can really go to this place and sort of take the women in and put them into events or uh, working groups or jobs. Um, so we'll do very concrete things. Mm. Mm, very exciting. So what advice do you have for us young professionals here in the room, men and women, who want to empower our colleagues, empower ourselves to take the lead in the field of security? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I said to my colleagues before I went here, you know, I'm really not sure I'm the right person to ask, but uh, I take advantage of the situation. So I, I think personally, I I feel sometimes like you know the the gender communities first gump. So many things just happened to me. Even you know, it wasn't really. Planned, and I have been thinking about that, and I think it might have, because relatively seen, I achieved some certain position, which could be seen as something to admire, uh, I, I guess. But I think, for me personally, it has been driven very much about a very genuine and authentic passion for what I'm doing. So I think I, 
because before coming here today, I was thinking about it, and and I think that I I come across as a person who is very passionate and very genuine and authentic about what I do. And we have been reading now in the election process in the United States of America some articles about the importance of being authentic, and I I I really believe that. So I think. If if you do something you really feel strongly about, you know, it's likely that you like it, and if you like it, you know, it's likely that you will be more successful. So I would, I would, based on my personal experience, say that uh, try to find that if you can, uh, and try to, you know, and dare to stay unique and to, to to as Robert Frost said, you know, travel the road road less traveled, you know, because that will make the difference. Uh, do not necessarily do the things all your, you know, friends or colleagues are looking for or copy what is already in place because we also need unique new solutions that we didn't think about before. And this is also why we have to 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 encourage and push ourselves perhaps to be creative to to be brave and bold and think outside the box and and also to to see challenges as a great opportunity to learn something about both yourself and and uh, and the situation and others and 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 I'm saying that because I I believe that you should uh, well, it's good, you know. It's very. It's it's not like you know, the sunny days that forms us as people. It's actually our challenges, and I think you can also do things actively to, to put yourself outside a little bit your comfort zone, and and the first times it will feel incredibly uh, uncomfortable, and but after a while, when you did it again and again and again, you you learn how to to deal with that and that is very strengthening I think and 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 that is uh, something I would like you to to take away from here so do not follow the stream uh, go your own way it sounds like cliches but it's actually mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. and trust your instinct and 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 do not build your do not think too much about what other people will think about you and do not think too much about you know well whether this will you know be beneficial for your what you hope for in the next step in your next career it, it, it sometimes it comes uh, across to me this is my very personal interpretation that that many of us are too nervous about how things we do might uh, be perceived by others who might be the ones who are giving us the performance report or evaluation process. So, so, so if you put too much focus on our, you know, what would be a great career for me, I think in the, I, th I think that's a short run approach. I think that's not like a in it for the long run approach. So, so, yeah, just do what you think is right for you. Thank you, Charlotte. Sure. I can fully subscribe to the sort of be authentic um, and be yourself and also find what really drives you and follow that because I think we really have to be with passion and sort of what we do. We spend so much time at work so we might as well do it with something that we truly enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's 
sort of build up our comp competency it's learn from others um, get a mentor but really build up your professional skills so once you get out there be really good in what you say and I remember somebody sort of saying you know one of the things she always sort of tried to keep in her mind is whenever she went into a meeting that she knew more than the people she was meeting with so she could really have a stellar performance um, it's building and using networks. Um, there are lots of networks around here in Brussels, and I think it is about using them um, and building them up, because um, this is where you get your information, and it's where you find support. And it's very particular also to Brussels, where you have hierarchies, but I think all of those of you who work inside the institution also realize sometimes you need to go elsewhere to find the information you need to do your job well. Um, it's maybe something very particular for women, but it's, you know, work on your self-confidence and the public speaking and um, because, I, again, it's a very professional environment here and I think it's important to be very articulate. Um, don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, we need to go out there and we need to try. Um, if you failed, you know, don't dwell on it, uh, learn from it and move on. Um, otherwise, you know, you can't get to where you want to go. Um, it's also about being kind to yourself at times and just sort of chill a bit and um, but again also very much to women support other women I think we still need each other um, and we should be supportive as other sort of advance because um, they might be there then later on to help you um, and the last one and I think you can relate to this um, choose your partner well um, <laughs> especially sort yeah. of for women, <laughs> so yeah. if, you know, make sure you have a partner that's not a dinosaur but is willing to pick up the, you know, the 50% of the household chores and um, at, later on, you just don't also overstress when it comes to sort of balance family and careers, it's possible, you, know, you just have to be sort of flexible and relaxed. Questions from the audience, okay. especially if you are facing a specific issue at work and or in your career path and you'd like advice on that. Right. Yeah, and feel free, please introduce yourself and state your affiliation as well. Hi, everybody. My name is Helen Honkasari. I'm um, a Finnish national and I'm here as a trainee at the commission at the moment. I'm not uh, in the field of security, but I find it very interesting and um, what I was thinking here, listening to our speakers, was that uh, I think we have two women who have taken a different path, a different path into the field of security. So we have combat, and then we have uh, the policy side. I think, if I am not mistaken, and in my mind, I always thought that you had to have a combat experience of some sort to gain access into the domains that we were talking about. Uh, Am I right or wrong in this? Uh, does combat experience actually count for so much? Because especially in Finland, when we have uh, obligatory prescription for all men, but not for women, it is uh, a very specific choice if you want to go into combat uh, training yourself into the army. Thank you. Well, I think it depends how you define security. Um, yeah. Again, I'm certainly somebody who take security very broadly. I mean, we talk about energy security, uh, it could be about homeland security, it could be trade and security, societal security. So there's sort of lots of options. Um, so, you know, yeah, if you want to be a go purely for NATO or the military, that might be one way to go. Um, if you want to fill out the other sectors, um, 
I don't think you have to be so narrowly defined. The advice I have for people who want to make it into sort of the policy community is get field experience. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you don't have children, family, or any other sort of you know responsibilities of caring for others, it's go out there. Um, go to Africa, go to Asia, spend you know two three years in the field and sort of hardship posts or whatever to get that experience that you can then also sort of trade back. One thing that I've also observed is that, um, at least traditionally in the past, men, you know, tended to have a very linear um, career path, sort of, sort of moving up, while women kind of went this way. So at the end, you have, you might have a vice president, and you might have, you know, on the male side, but you have a director of something on the female side. So, but you know, irrespective of titles, um, it's it's the experience that count in different mm -hmm. sectors. And you could, you know, you can work in development or humanitarian assistance, but then later on, work, you know, come to NATO and work on emerging mm -hmm. threats, and you actually bring some really interesting perspectives to it. So, don't, yeah, don't define it too narrowly, but remain broad. No, I, I, I perceive your question as sort of two things. So both sort of the form of um, sort of self-imagination of the military, uh, you know, role. Uh, and, and there is a certain path, of course, and there are certain things you need to do to to get promoted or to get a higher status, etc. I would personally argue that that is necessarily not related to the real reality. It might be related to the reality of that uh, cultural, organizational cultural context, because that is how you decided it is with us. But, you know, looking from it to totally objectively, I think, you know, different organizations set up those things, you know, because it also tells a lot about who we want to be and how we would like to be perceived by others and and I find this uh, combat experience I find that very interesting because of course you could discuss what that is you know what is combat and and some some uh, would still argue that yeah you know then it, it's when you're in infantry or special forces or you know they shoot at you and and things happened but but we, all, all positions in the military now in this sort of hybrid warfare uh, environment is more or less combat positions and and look at uh, civilian populations where we are conflict you know who is who is uh, really uh, uh, living the you know hardship of conflict uh, uh, but of course they wouldn't be able to put that in the CV so I think Personally, I came to think think a lot about this, and and I think a lot about why why we do those things. And I think again, it is it, it is in many ways it is to keep people in and keep people out. It's a way of you know keeping power in an organization to a certain group. And I I think this, as I said before, it is important uh, to to really put a light on this and to to sometimes also question this uh, because not necessarily uh, we are always ourselves the ones who can best decide what is needed for us. Sometimes we need others and I totally agree with you on other perspectives and other competencies and in all my, my positions both in mission and outside in, in NATO and at the headquarters there have always been 
also civilian uh, experts coming from completely other uh, fields and that is something that is I would argue more and more valued uh, and people understand more and more that this is the way we have to go. Thank you ladies for sharing your insights. Uh, I am Nina Hashratian, I work at Friends of Europe. Uh, actually my question joins uh, the previous one. Um, Historically, there has been an amalgam between defense and security, you know, uh, putting the stress on the force, the strength, the armies. Uh, but as you said now, there is a wide range of security issues nowadays. There has been an actual evolution. So um, do you think that uh, that evolution has allowed uh, women to show that they are capable, actually, of getting in, you know, uh, both in defense and in security? So it has actually allowed us to break that mold in, in which the security and defense issues were uh, typically linked to men before. And uh, if so, how can we push it further to actually help uh, women empowerment, in, both in defense and in security? Thank you. Yes and no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to the one side, I do feel there is an opportunity for women to come in um, but it goes back to what I said earlier on you really have to know your stuff you have to be really good at what you do and that actually applies for both men and women um, because of the complexity of the world we live in now is also it becomes harder because you have to talk to people who don't know your field you have to make your expertise understandable for people in other sectors and I think you're also then at times encountering resistance because there are people who have been in traditional fields and they don't want to create the space for you to come in with your new ideas. So, you know, it's an opportunity, but it's also a challenge. Um, but I actually see the sort of much bigger challenge for all of us, men and women in the US, in Europe, wherever, is that our lives and our worlds get way more complex and we're sort of facing issues that we haven't really thought through fully um, in terms of that, you know, the, the work we do, the, the societies, we, the, it's all changing and we have, we, you know, we're we just at the beginning and sort of unpacking sort of what it actually means and at the moment it's happening in various sectors but it hasn't really come together and I think that's sort of one of the weaknesses that also policymakers face, that they don't know how to respond to the insecurities of the society. But I mean, it's a different subject matter. No, no, I, I agree with that and I, I would like to add to that in the, you know, with the insecurities of today, when, you know, we all feel that, you know, more and more things are happening that we couldn't foresee perhaps 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I think personally that also comes with a you know bigger personal engagement from uh, from men and women because uh, suddenly issues related to safety and security for ourselves and for our families and communities are sort of on our doorstep in a in a new way and I think that comes with of course that you know it comes with a lot of challenges but also I think it comes with a lot of opportunities for for, for making sure that we have both men and women uh, being actively involved in both policy and, and decisions and, and conduct on anything around security and defense. Um, but my question is about the Hillary and Trump, who doesn't look to have a gender advisor, or maybe he does, because a well-educated woman, both for him and for her. But the, 
what's the explanation for that? Because first glance doesn't look very rational. When you have a guy constantly like going against the values you are sharing here, but then he gets the boat. I, I find that a very difficult question to to discuss uh, because I I of course because I I also a strong believer in people's personal choice you know and you you know I, you 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 just must respect what people make choices in terms of you know elections or you know what they choose for their life and if they want to work a lot if they want to have a family if they want not to have a family so so but but I do think personally that sometimes we are uh, you know as people we can also come with contradictions you know you can I think perhaps many of us might have contradictions you know within ourselves and sometimes you are very pro something and you know if you really think through you know another topic it might not really play well and and it's, it's it, I find it difficult to 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 say something about that because because people's lives are different and we make different choices so I don't know if you can help me out here <laughs> because I, I thought that was a very difficult uh, one actually yeah. I mean, I think what just happened in the United States goes beyond gender. Um, you know, that's just one little component of this. Um, yes, he has not said very nice things about uh, women, and I think Hillary Clinton has faced really, really extreme, harsh, um, very unpleasant sort of responses to her campaign, sort of very sexist discrimina discrimination. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, Trump has some very strong women around him um, who are very successful professionally. Um, yes, he doesn't think highly of women sort of, I mean, you know, they're objects and they can be touched. Uh, but it still remains to be seen, um, you know, what kind of measurements he might take to any sort of legislation. Um, the U.S. election is much more about a fundamental shift as to where societies are going. Um, and again, gender is a very small part of it. Hillary has done everything right when it comes to campaigning. Um, but, you know, the way how media played it and, and sort of Trump breaking any rules that sort of existed, um, she just didn't, I mean, you know, she didn't get the electoral vote, but she got the popular vote. Mm -hmm. The other thing you also need to think is that now you have the highest number of women um, in Congress. So Hillary might not have gotten the highest post, but there are way more women in Congress than ever before. So again, you know, it goes to sort of critical mass, and maybe that sort of will affect some some changes. So I think we're in for a surprise. Let's see. Um, hi, my name is uh, Nima Hyrie. Um, I have a background in management consulting. So thank you for sharing your experiences. It's uh, very very enlightening. Uh, I had two questions. The first one is in terms of. Uh, uh, integrating more women into the, the private sector, do you think that there needs to be a sort of a quota system maybe to, to be able to, you know, to, to help women better be involved or, or you know, have a, a front door in, in, in the work environment? And the second question would be, um, do you think there's a region in Europe or around the world where they're doing the right thing, you know, in terms of gender equality? 
where in security there that's the best practice that you know other people should look to into so that would be <laughs> two questions i have thank you one other thing that i'm doing is i'm co-writing a book with a friend of mine claudia calderinha on women leading the way in brussels and um it's we want to produce some stories of role models of women who've made it here in brussels mm -hmm. and we've been asking them questions about how do they got to where they are what do they think about leadership? What do they think about Brussels as a very particular sort of place? Um, and advice they have um, for, you know, people who come to, to town. And um, all of them um, have admitted that initially they didn't believe in, gen in quotas. Um, they wanted to advance on their own merits. And at some point in their career, they switched and they've all become believers in quotas. And um, I do too, and it goes back to my earlier point that uh, we need a mentality shift mm -hmm. in society, and we need some sort of regulations um, to push people to do that. So quotas are just one step, it's a means to an end, it's not yeah. the end in itself, but it's to get somewhere. And at some point, you know, we can get rid of quotas, but we now need to need them and we need other sort of steps to sort of change things you know how we hire people how we retain people how we compose um hiring committees and things like that so again it's to help us uncover those sort of blind spots bring different kind of people together and hopefully at some point we can get rid of quotas again especially in the case of kind of uh, a template or one of the countries that's doing its best i'm curious because of sweden's feminist foreign policy do you think that's a <laughs> A template the feminist foreign policy uh -huh. yeah I think it is but I I'm not sure if we yet saw that uh, uh, lead to to uh, an improved gender balance it's quite a new concept and and uh, I can I can again say that you know I uh, I'm very proud of the organization I came from in Sweden the Swedish Armed Forces in terms of of integrating a gender perspective and gender mainstream processes and procedures and 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 the ways of working but 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 fact remains uh, related to gender balance within the Swedish armed forces uh, it looks pretty not so very good compared to other uh, nations in Europe and NATO so so it, it seems to and there is some research supporting that that it seems that like some nations have been more successful on the gender balance side of the house and some other nations have been more successful on on uh, on changing ways of working and you know what you deliver and gender mainstreaming and it seems like you know not anyone as i know of yet did do both very well or seemed to processing very fast on both tracks and i think going back to quotas i think uh, I think we should think about the achievement of gender equality and equal opportunities for all. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not only about gender or men and women, it's, it's a transformation, it's a, it's a change process. And, and, and many of us, when it comes to transformation and change process, react with, uh, you know, try to keep status, status quo. And of course, when it comes to gendered systems as security and defense are, uh, there is a lot of power at stake, so there are many quite uh, strong forces who who want to keep the status quo for different reasons and 
And in light of that, you know, people are not giving up power, you know, like that. That that will never happen. It's never happened. It will never happen. So so given that, you have to be active. You have to do something. You have to take an active measurement. And and to me, setting up a quota, and I, I also agree it's not like a forever solution, but to get to a better point and to get forward, you know, I think we also need to consider uh, uh, things like that. All right. Hi, uh, my name is Erica Miller. I'm a master's student at Brussels School of International Studies. Uh, my question is just kind of to get a woman's perspective, but what is your opinion on the EU Defense Unit and um, the EU Army, like establishing the EU Army? Hi, my name is Anna. I work in the European Commission for the past two years, but not in this uh, sector, in a completely different one. But I'm trying to move towards uh, security-related issues. And my question is, uh, is related to something you said, Mrs. Isaacson, but it can be probably for both of you. It's um, You mentioned that uh, in your current job, uh, working in the gender-related uh, issues, you try to contribute to making this job more attractive for women and to facilitate the women to enter into this job. And I'm just uh, curious what kind of concrete measures are you working on in your daily work? Thank you. Of course. So there are a few okay. questions in there, yeah? There are a few questions. So should I start? Okay, so I think uh, the European defense and security, you asked you ask that? Yeah, so, you know, come on. I'm a military person, so... <laughs> I, I think about things like that as my master things. So, uh, but of course, I I think that w whatever European Union decides to do, that makes sure that the European Union and as such, and also the citizens and 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 supporting the third countries as well to to get security or to remain security. You know, whatever measures are put in place there i i'm a strong believer in that and uh, and of course that can be done in different ways and you know together with different partners because that's also how it is outlined because we are we are part of a you know global context where we have close partnerships especially with united nations and nato which has been clearly you know communicated so so I, I'm, I'm positive to that, and I think that also, as I said before, comes with opportunities for, for both diversity and women's inclusion, and, and, and uh, especially in these times. Uh, when it comes to gender balance, what I do actively, yeah, I think it is... So I just started my new job like two-something months ago, so, so you have to forgive me for, for not, you know presenting so much, but, but I'm very happy to say that the Secretary General of the External Action Service, uh, Helga Schmidt, she announced not too long ago, ago her priorities, and one of them are gender balance, and that means that we are now in the beginning of setting up these type of measures and very active uh, uh, things to make sure that we can improve the gender balance within EAS. In my previous job, what we have been doing actively uh, is, of course, you know, recruitment and, you know, to try to show that this is an attractive workplace. But, but at the same time, you know, you also have to make sure that it is when those 
women might come in that it is actually an attractive workplace so you also have to work with your internal uh, uh, culture for example you have to make sure that people within the organization are are welcoming and understanding principles of gender uh, equality and and that there is no discrimination and none of those negative uh, aspects I re uh, referred to before. So we have been working a lot with training and education. Uh, we have had programs where we have been giving special coaching to senior leaders because they are setting the tone and especially in a security military environment. It's, it's very important what is said from the very top because that is likely to influence the rest of the organization. Uh, and and uh, just before I left my previous headquarters in NATO in shape, we were just about to launch our first mentor program uh, with one of the aims for that mentor program to to make sure that uh, young uh, junior men and women in our organization could uh, reach their full potential and and also to be an attractive workplace for for new colleagues uh, who want to work with insecurity. So, yeah, a few examples. Maybe I can just follow up because I'm from the outside, so I can say a whole lot of things that Shadow can say. I mean, I, I think you could make uh, the EAS a whole lot more attractive in a, no a number of ways. I mean, A, and it goes to all EU institutions, including NATO, have important meetings during working hours and not after working hours, so to allow both men and women to sort of balance uh, the responsibilities they have at work and uh, at home. Um, when it comes to the EAS, also to make, you know, in order to make um, postings abroad more attractive is to come up with a, a system and also work with the member states that whenever you move one, um, let's let say you have an EAS employee, he or she wants to take up a post abroad. Did you find also help facilitate or help make contacts so that the partner can also find a job in one of the member states delegations, for example. And, you know, that goes both ways. It's men and women. So you don't have a trailing spouse who then has to put his or her career on hold for a couple of um, years. Um, and, you know, when it comes to uh, Charlotte's boss, Mara Maranaki, when she came on board, I mean, one of the things that sort of why is, um, you know, we sort of looked at her coming in and kind of said, you know, maybe it's a good thing that you have a Greek who took up this position, you know, a country that hasn't even um, uh, really installed a sort of gender action plan. Um, and But, you know, she comes from a different culture, so maybe she talks about gender in a different way and it actually gets a couple of people around this concept who before that said, oh, you know, this is a Swedish issue, so I'm not going to deal with it. Um, and I also think she has maybe an opportunity to also work with member states in a particular way and really, you know, create a, a um, you know, a friends group of, of, of the gender advisor that includes members, uh, yeah, from the member states to sort of also help, you know, make them sort of wake up, wake up and that the member states have to send more women to the positions in, in Brussels to further diversify that. Um, yeah, that's sort of on sort of the gender question. And I think your other question was about all the sort of conversation about the EU picking up now on defense and security vis-a-vis -vis NATO. Um, 
I mean, I've been here now a couple of years. It's not the first time that the EU wants to sort of build up their capacities. And I know there's a lot of skepticism around it. I do think there's some things that are different at the moment. A, the context has changed, and there are really some people who fundamentally question the, the existence of NATO. Um, let's see where that goes. I don't think it's that easy to dismantle an organization, but it might sort of shift. And, you know, you have that internal co uh, conversation about where's Europe going as in sort of as a unity and I do see some changes there that um, you know you have countries like Poland who initially you know were sort of friends with the United States and really were a big supporter of NATO they do embrace that sort of concept of Europe um, sort of being its own sort of security sort of partner and so I think those conversations are necessary to have. They're incredibly uncomfortable for those who might see their own sort of powers and sort of bit waning. But we need new ideas, and you know we're definitely at a place where you know we need to start talking about Europe in a different way and some mm -hmm. how we can collaborate. Um, a colleague of um, mine at Wise, she recently recently wrote an article about you know as we're sort of thinking about you know having joint groups troops and all of that let's start a bit earlier and actually talk about joint sort of training units and mm -hmm. sort of develop that a little bit further so start beginning sort of have you know the boots on the ground kind of getting used to sort of collaborating and and, and you know facilitating that contact so that it doesn't become so scary oh, well, all of a sudden you know i need to sort of um go out there and, and sort of mix um, troops and fight some war that might not even be mine um so it's again the sort of this acculturation that sort of needs to take place and the fact that we do have, you know, more women out there visible, I do think also will impact the kind of conversations we'll have and the writing that will happen around that. Mm. Final words of wisdom to send us off in our careers. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, I, I will. I will repeat what I said before. Uh, do not go where the path may lead, but go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. I think that's something you can think about. And also to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else uh, is the greatest accomplishment. And I think being a woman in a, perhaps in a security environment, uh, that, that gives an, an extra layer to that quote, which I, you know, it's not mine, it's from... Uh, uh, Waldo Emerson but I think being a woman because sometimes also when you come in as a woman or one of very few women in a security organization or in a male dominant dominated context and it's also very competitive you know we all do things to adjust to the situation and you know we want this next job etc but you know to really keep your core you know and to stay who you are I think that is think about that as an accomplishment and something that is that is really important because uh, because the days the the wind will be blowing you know very strong in your face you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't put too much time to find you know who you really are because uh, because there are those days and then I think you said also something very very good before Corinna, which I would like to, to just say again, you know, to to think about uh, when you choose a partner, that is really important and it might also sound as a cliche, but, but in terms of gender relations, uh, 
in a marriage or another type of relation, we, we know that those personal private love relations and marriage, you know, comes with a lot of uh, risks of going back to basics in terms of gender relations. And we know that uh, highly educated women, you know, because, you know, being a mother, being married, having a family comes again with some expectations uh, from your family, perhaps from colleagues, from others, and and uh, yeah, and and you you might uh, want to go follow that and to adjust to that. And I, I I would like to send with you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, stay where you are. And I will uh, end with an example. So I was. Uh, I was one year in Congo in 2006 when our third and youngest child was uh, three years old. And I met a lot of negative attitudes, I can assure you. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, that can be very painful on an individual level uh, because you think you do something great and then people think you're like uh, the worst mother of the week and of course, who wants that? But I. I'm I'm still very sure. I was always sure it was the right for us. It was the right choice, and I, and I would very much like to see more young people do that because actually also having children is is for sure not an obstacle to I would say anything. Not even going on a mission. I think we are in a very particular time period at the moment where you know the the world we lived and. The way how we thought about where we would go at being challenged um, and it could yeah it's sort of the populist movement that exists here in Europe or it's um, somebody like Trump in the United States so the sort of liberal democratic system and principles are being challenged undermined and um, I think we need to prepare ourselves to have some conversation that are incredibly uncomfortable um, and it could be with you know, it's it's with people who don't believe the way we do or don't see life going in that direction. And um, it can be both, you know, it's not against men or women, but it could be also among women. It could be with other women. I mean, you know, the fact that we have 53% uh, of white women who voted for Trump tells you something. Um, so, and, you know, we're here in Brussels. We're part of the elite. Um, just by proxy to the policymakers, and so it's about you know seeking seeking actually conversations with people who think differently like us, seeking conversations with people back home, since I think most of us come from somewhere else, um, to to engage with them and be accepting of maybe their different viewpoints, um, but then ensuring that we can proceed with the lives we want to lead. Please join me in thanking Corinna Horst and Charlotte Isaacson.